In this episode, we discuss G.I. Joe Retaliation, in which the Joes and Cobra enact brutal retaliation against the audience. Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Beep boop. I'm Stuart Wellington, and robot. I'm, <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalin, super happy and proud of how Stuart's robot impression has come along. <laughs> Stuart, you've graduated from Robot Impression College. Stuart, almost. Ri- you've graduated from the Rich Little Bot School of Robot Impressions. Stuart almost sprayed out the one of the two Coors Lights he has in front of him currently. It almost came out of He's my exhaust port. Back up Coors Light. <laughs> Yeah, he's like a fucking bender. He runs on alcohol. Yeah. Right, right in my disc drive. That's his fun fuel. Uh-huh. Um, so, welcome to the Flophouse. Welcome flop to the Flophouse. Just a message, don't pour beer into the disc drive of your computer. <laughs> no. Welcome to the Flophouse. What um, is this Flophouse thing that we're doing, Dan? It's a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we chat about it. If you're new to the show, turn it off and go back to an earlier episode that makes more sense. And if you're new to the show, we don't know. Keep listening. <laughs> yeah, man. We don't, there's no way we can know. Yeah, and that's your secret thrill. <laughs> 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 Knowing that we're, you're nude. And we, and have, we have no idea. idea. Yeah. Come on. Mm-hmm. But um, in this particular case, we watched a little movie called G period <laughs> I period Joe colon, colon Retaliation. Which is not a little retaliation. movie. It was a very big movie. Huge. And, mm, some would say too big. Very <laughs> successful. Uh, financially, well, it, it was financially. Success- okay. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it wasn't like a huge success, like overnight sensation. Now, this it, it made a lot of money. Is a sequel to GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra, which I'll let you in on a little secret, guys. It's a movie I kind of like. Don't get me wrong; it's deeply stupid, not very good, but it has that. Let me guess. Stephen, you watched it on a plane. It's got that Stephen Summers charm. That mummy. Deep rising charm where it's uh, embraces its own idiocy. In Van Helsing, I wish yeah. it had more of a Mark Summers charm, where the Joes are like have mm-hmm. to find a red flag inside of a big nose full yeah, of gross but, green slime. But I wish it had more OCD, of a, so they don't really like to. Well, that part of the Mark Summers charm I like to leave out. Okay. Or like a summer school charm where there's a bunch of montages. Mm-hmm. Dean Cameron's in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Mark Harmon is uh, is wooing Kirstie Alley. She was in it, right? Probably. Was, love interest? I can't even remember. I don't She wasn't one of the students, though. There she was, was a blonde girl teacher. who was in the, all those 80 sitcoms. Christina Applegate. No. Well, this has not been a fruitful <laughs> avenue, so let's change I it. I said apple. In apple, Christina Applegate. <laughs> what, what more fruits do you need? Yeah. Okay, anyway, so G.I. Joe Retaliation. So you liked the first movie because it's stupid. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's it's just it's a flavor of dumb that's I have to admit, enjoyable. I found the first movie very boring. Okay. This movie. I didn't remember very much of it, but luckily Elliot, Elliot remembered a bunch about nano machines and mm-hmm. Cobra commanders. The first movie is all about a nanobots that eat the Eiffel Tower, and yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt turns out to be Cobra commander at the end and gets his face all screwed up. And his face the movie is ends. Off. The movie ends with <laughs> Cobra and Destro, Cobra commander and Destro escaping, and they're caught about three minutes later. So the yeah. rise of Cobra is represented by them almost immediately being caught and thrown in prison. This movie, as Elliot's plot summary will uh, will show, 
probably should have been called the Rise of Cobra because they totally rise up in this one. Yeah, but this is—I mean, like, like this, their titular namesake, they <laughs> they rise up from the ground and spread their hood, and then they bite, and uh, and then a mongoose. They kills spray them. poison everywhere <laughs> until but, a charmer with a flute <laughs> plays a beautiful melody, which causes them to dance. They are entranced, and then retreat back into their wicker basket. <laughs> To entertain another crowd of tourists. <laughs> this is uh, this movie is a direct sequel in one sense, which is that at the end of the first movie, uh, the president Jonathan Price is uh, being uh, impersonated he by gets kidnapped and impersonated, shifting cobra. Well, he's uh, a master of disguise. Yeah, and he uses his nanobots to to shapeshift. But this is also to, and his name is Zartan. Yeah, but this is also not a direct sequel and almost a complete reboot in the other sense, which is that Channing Tatum is the only Joe to bridge both movies and he what gets are you killed. About? What about Snake Eyes? Oh, yeah. Well, Snake Eyes is behind Ray the mask Park. the whole time. You don't really think about him as being... Well, I don't know. He's kind of the, everyone's favorite character. Yeah, he's a, he's a ninja in a yeah, black Storm outfit Shadow and he doesn't talk. Movies. And right. he has a pet wolf named Timber. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that seems like an unimaginative name for it's a pet wolf. kind of on the nose. You're one step away from just naming your wolf Wolfie. <laughs> hey, 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 Fuzz, Fuzzes, come over here. Hey, hey Furball. Fur yep, hey, Feral Dog. Come on. <laughs> this is my bulldog. His name's Bull. <laughs> come here, Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus. Yep. The patron saint of wolves. Uh, All the little wolf cubs. Put their stockings <laughs> up and say, wait, why do we wear stockings? We're wolves. Yeah. Okay. Guys, yeah. I don't know about you, but I love Jonathan Price. Me too. But there is no way a guy with that crazy haircut would be elected president <laughs> of the United States. It's not that crazy. It's all over the place. It's messy. You know who else had a messy haircut? Zartan. A little man well, named Jesus Christ. <laughs> nope. Abraham Lincoln is what I was going to say, who was elected president twice. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Jonathan Price, yeah, he for me was the saving grace of this movie because he really seems to enjoy playing Zartan, who is pretending to be the president but still says goofy one-liners <laughs> yeah. and calls people like dude and stuff like that. Well, why wouldn't you enjoy like if you're playing a character named Zartan, you know that you're in for a good time. Uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe if you think it's an anagram of Tarzan, I don't know why Zartan could easily be. A, if this was a Star Wars movie and a character walked out and said, I am Zartan, you'd be like, all right, I'm ready for this to be a shitty character. <laughs> but <laughs> what, what race you is could, this yeah, stereotype you could be, of? You could be anything. Yeah. But if you're a classy English actor slumming it in an American movie and you're like told that your character's name is Zartan, you're like, great, I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> no, again, I'm, there's nothing about the name Zartan. Zartan would make him make us think that Jonathan Price is like, all right, I'm playing some sort of intergalactic warlord <laughs> named Zartan. I'm not saying it explains. Or maybe he's a, ca a caveman of some kind. I'm not saying it explains no, He's, he's kind a of timeless shapeshifter. <laughs> you know the tone that you need. Yeah, to take. you know it's well. The minute you know you sign up for a movie called GI Joe Retaliation, <laughs> you know the tone of the movie. In the it's not going to be a chamber a chamber <laughs> drama. It's not going to be like the time I saw Jonathan Price on stage in, the, ca in the Caretaker, a pincher play. <laughs> oh man, which he was fantastic in. Mm. Let me tell you, as good as he was as Zartan. This as is, hard as it is to believe, he was even better in this ha in this Pen Harold Pinter play. You're saying um, it was worth the price of admission. Price yeah, was wide. Well, oh, it's a pun. I get it. That was uh, the Kalen yeah. Culture Corner. Yep. Yeah, Kalen. Well, it's one of the KKK. many many times on <laughs> you this. Should really rebrand that. <laughs> no, nope, I like it. That I'm trying to reclaim the initials. <laughs> it's one of the many times on this podcast that I've mentioned seeing an actor in a stage play. Yeah. 
It's a good production too. Brooklyn Academy uh, music. But we've given you no idea of what this movie's so about. So G.I. So Joe, retaliation. Who's retaliating? Who are the Joes? Perhaps we've forgotten. Let's explain. The right. G.I. Joe <laughs> unit is G.I. Joe stands for Giraffe Intelligence Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. It's Joe Camel's unit where he tries to figure out how smart giraffes are <laughs> to see if they'd be better mascots for selling cigarettes to kids. Yep. Because giraffes are already the Toys R Us mascot. If they could push cigarettes and Toys R Us they have a lock on the market. And so Joe Camel puts together a unit of the best giraffe psychologists and the best tobacco marketing execs to find out how smart giraffes are. Are they like a, like a wacky Motley crew, like the weasels and Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Even better. They're Motley crew. Tommy <laughs> Lee, <laughs> Nikki Six, the, yep. whole, the whole gang. Name the other two. They're, I don't know. <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> and friends. Motley crew, or as I know it, Tommy Lee, Nikki Six, and pals. <laughs> They're the head, and boy, are they causing too much rock and rolling and too much partying when Joe Camel has some work to do. And so they have no choice but to kidnap the Queen of England. Okay. To ransom her for the secret files held by the British government about giraffe intelligence by MI6, the Mammal Intelligence Six Pack. Which is uh, S- six different mammals, or yes, exactly a beaver, a badger, a, a bear, ma- a manatee, a boar. You need an aquatic one. A manatee and a dugong. There's two aquatic mammals. A manatee. They're so similar, <laughs> and that's the problem. That's because part of the joke. Everyone keeps mixing them up and can't tell them apart. To the exasperation of the sea cow, the manatee, who thinks he should be easier to recognize since manatees are so much more famous than dugongs. <laughs> Anyway, it all comes to a head at a big breakdancing competition in, where else, the center of the earth. (laughs) Which is not part of Germany, apparently. No, no. So let's start at G.I. Joe Retaliation, which is not as fun as the movie that I just outlined for you. So G.I. Joe is a a special branch of the military. In the last movie, they seem to be some kind of international ops network. But here, they're just part of the American military (laughs) that operates independently of everybody else and is both... A secret covert strike squad and also world famous. <laughs> Everybody knows their names, faces, their code names. And also, I find it very delightful at one point when Jonathan Price, as uh, you know, he's 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 a bad guy playing the president. But at this point, we don't know that. We just think he's the president. Yeah, it's a richly layered performance. <laughs> but he goes, "Get me the GI Joes," and I'm like, "I don't think you need to say that as president. You're the commander in chief. You're just like they're a division of the army. You can just be like." Um, so the G.I. Joes, uh, this is my orders for them. <laughs> Their like, place in the chain of command is never, never quite made a phone clear. call. They're yeah, probably yeah, yeah. in the fucking Bahamas on vacation. Well, anyway, the point is... Why are you looking at me? Was that because I just got back from the Bahamas? <laughs> yeah, like this jag off. He was trying to connect to you. That's, sure. Let's do, do a little bit of crowd work. He's like, let me do some of my Stuart material. <laughs> so, uh, anybody uh, here work at a German-themed yeah. bar? I, oh, I do. Stuarts are always wearing those Frankenstein's monster-looking shoes, am that I right? hilarious. <laughs> Roasted. So what's, with, so what's with being married to Stuart's wife, am I right? And Stuart's like, I totally get that. Anyway, the he movie. Let's, to me on my let, level. Me, let me get one minute into okay. the movie. So, I don't the, think so. The president of Pakistan has been assassinated, and in the ensuing chaos, the Pakistani nuclear warheads are up for grabs. Yep. So, the president breaking all rules of sovereignty, which who cares? We already broke Pakistan's sovereignty when we killed Osama bin Laden. Yeah. Sends the Joes that in. That at least is accurate. The president sends the Joes in to secure these nuclear weapons, but it's really part of a trick. 
They're actually framing the Joes for the murder of the Pakistani president, prime minister, president, I think. No, prime minister. Uh, that For the murder of the head of state of Pakistan and stealing of the nuclear weapons. So the president, Jonathan Price, who's actually Zartan in disguise, mm-hmm. <laughs> the real president is kept in a bunker under... The White House. The, it's not. I don't know if it's the White House or if it's just some old house somewhere. I think it's. I think it's. Un, I think it's like the White House basement. <laughs> I think it's the White House basement. I, I too. You got to be in the, the White House basement, alley. and Zartan just goes Keep down your there enemies close, and, then, and your enemies closer. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But Zartan just goes down there every now and then to punch the president in the face and yeah. torture him, and, and to be able, and to intimate that he's sleeping with his wife. Yeah. But so the president. Zartan in disguise sends a unit of the military. He says the Joes have gone rogue. Sends some helicopter gunships over. Blows up all the Joes. Kills Channing Tatum, who we've already seen as a great guy palling around with his buddy Dwayne the Rock. Terrible Johnson. at yeah. uh, video games. And terrible by the way, video game. we've learned that he's an excellent combat guy. Terrible at video games, and now he's been killed. And other than Jonathan Price, he's the only returning actor other than him. Right, and Ray and Park. And, and Ray, Park. And a, Ray who? Ray Park, who played <laughs> playing Snake Eyes. Toad. And isn't this the guy, same guy who's playing Storm Shadow, right? Oh, yeah. Too. But, like, Channing Tatum, a, a perfectly charming actor, a ve- like, very good in uh, Magic Mike and in uh, the 21 Jump Street. Here, in like... Step Up, right? Yeah, but they, they, they've delayed this movie in part because Channing Tatum became a much bigger star in between when they first shot it and when they released it. And so, like, there's a lot of scenes at the beginning with Channing Tatum that don't necessarily have a lot of bearing on They're where the movie filler. goes. They're Channing Tatum filler. Later, yeah, and it, and it's and it's like, well, he's it's it's weird because you're like, okay, on the one hand, he's one of the more charming actors that are in this movie, like he actually has some charisma, unlike the guy who plays Flint, who makes no impression. Yeah, it goes, it goes Jonathan Price, <laughs> Adrian Padalecki, yeah, playing the part of Lady Jane. Yeah, the Rock, maybe, yeah, rock. and then Channing Tatum, and yeah. then way down at the bottom below the guns and the vehicles used in the and, movie, and, 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 the and a sleeping <laughs> Bruce Willis. <laughs> there is the charisma of Flint, who is a kid. Okay, so let's let's say who the characters are. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's just say that the Joes are framed for everything. All of them are killed except our three heroes: yep. Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Roadblock, mm-hmm. Adrian Palicki as Lady Jane, and whoever plays Flint as Flint, and. Flint is a guy who is there to be the third guy in scenes where a guy to drive the car needs, for the Jones. exactly so that so that Roadblock and Lady Jane can have a conversation. They need Lady Flint Jane. to drive the car. Sorry, Lady Jane, not Lady Joan, who I guess would be Jay. Joan of Arc. Not Jane. I thought it was Jane. No, Lady J. It's Lady J. J A Y E. I apologize. I just say that because you know what? I, out there, there let is. Me write a, a, <laughs> let me write up an apology to Adrian Pulley. Out there, to Larry <laughs> Hama. <laughs> I just know that in our I would audience, love to talk to Larry Hama. Yeah, in our audience, there exist uh, GI Joe nerds who are very upset. What? I have to say this: I'm a nerd about a lot of stupid things yeah. and a lot of childish things, but a GI Joe nerd is a nerd I cannot respect. <laughs> let me just say that. So this is like a like a Cobra Commander shaped gauntlet being thrown down. <laughs> exactly. Or? Yeah. Now, if you were a Cobra Commander fan, maybe. No, I understand. We like this comes from something. a guy who has his Facebook picture is wearing a Cobra Commander outfit. Well, Cobra Commander's great, but that's also I'm not wearing it because I love GI Joe so much. I'm wearing it because it's you're, goofy. You were wearing watch. it because you're the enemy of GI Joe. Well, that too. But I was wearing it because it's fun to walk around your office dressed like Cobra Commander. No, but you were saying this before, like as we were watching the movie, and I and. It's trenchant, and I agree that like the on, like the only people watching this movie are people who have misplaced nostalgia for the shitty cartoons. I mean, of it's their fine youth. to have nostalgia for it, but then to, to but, then say like 
I need a grown-up version of this yeah. to justify my liking of this thing. You right, know? to inflate it into something that is then deserving of or needing of a millions, hundreds of millions of dollar, like big budget Hollywood film. Or rather alternately, than, like I am, I like this thing, but I'm ashamed to like its original form because it's a child, children's cartoon. Right. So for me to be able to justify as an adult that I like this thing, I need like a grown up version of it. I feel the same way about like the Transformers or the Ninja Turtles. Exactly. If they ever make a Thundercats movie, which they threaten every now and then, like. There's, it's for, I feel just like have your nostalgia but, for that thing. But then, how does uh, yeah. how is that that different from one. like from like Spider Man stuff? I would argue that Spider Man has a depth of character and theme that GI Joe or Transformers and things don't have, and that's purely. I mean, I, I, mean, I could partially be based on one was originally created to tell stories, and one was created to, to sell, sell toys. toys. And but also the artistry that's been put into the character. But I'm sure. And one of some, them has a spider ham. Uh, yeah, uh, if they were ham formers, if they were ham formers pro- or GI pigs, then you are, or I guess with PIG Joes. <laughs> but it's like one of them, one of them, a sense of a greater attempt at art, creative artistry has been placed into. You yeah. Know? Whereas that, that, that's what separates comic book movies from the toy. toy no, just individual movies. characters. Like, okay. you know, like Ninja Turtles is made in a lot of ways as a cartoon to sell toys. Okay, that's but fair. They put a little more effort into it than some of the other ones. But anyway, we don't need to get into that because I've alienated so many of our listeners who yeah. love their Transformers mm. movies and their G.I. Burning dresses, tiny little effigies of Elliot Kalen. As I burn bridges <laughs> to the nerd community. Well, I guess it's academia for me now. <laughs> I can only be around literary nerds. Ew, gross. So anyway, the Joes are Let's three Joe heroes. talk about the mill on the floss. No, Ew, on. I don't want to floss. <laughs> The uh, with a mill, what am I, a giant? <laughs> anyway, so the Joes are on the run, they've been framed, and the president, Zartan, goes on television to announce that the Joes are criminals. And, and it's one of these things where it's like, wait, so does everyone in the world know who the Joes are? Like, he mentions yeah. the world knows them as Joes, he mentions by their like eyes. weird code names. Like, so is Snake Eyes famous? <laughs> Yeah, Snake Eyes was Times Man of the Year last year. <laughs> He's supposed to be like a covert ninja. <laughs> it seems like it would get in the way if people recognized him and knew who he was. But anyway, at the same everybody time... Everybody knows who everybody is, except when they don't want people to know who they are. At the same time, Snake Eyes, who has just been announced on TV as a terrorist, uh, is arrested, we think, and taken to a prison overseen <laughs> by Walt Goggins. Yeah. Uh, that who you is, may know as Boyd Crowder from Justified, Justified. or uh, and he was actually, on The Shield. He turns in my second favorite performance right. in the movie after Jonathan sure. Price. He's super charismatic as the warden of this underground yeah, supervillain prison. Who delights in delivering exposition. <laughs> <laughs> he loves, he gets so much fun out of explaining to what the man he thinks is Snake Eyes how his underground prison works, where yeah. people are put into tanks of a liquid that welcome, keeps them Elliot. awake but paralyzes their muscles. Yeah. What? I said you're welcome after you said tanks. Oh, I got it. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why does it feel like someone just punched me really hard in the gut? Ouch. Uh, so anyway. That's your funny bone breaking. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Dan, if the funny bone bends, it's funny. If it breaks, I need a doctor. <laughs> so the, this this underground prison... 
that is super cooled because they're at the center of the earth almost. <laughs> it is super They're cool. so far underground that uh, Boyd Crowder mentions that they are, Warden Crowder mentions they're so far underground <laughs> that they're no longer in title. German territory, but in international territory. And I didn't realize... So it's totally legal to put dudes in giant yeah. fucking freezing back to tanks. I didn't yeah. realize that there was a depth you could go yeah. where you were no longer bound by oh, law. Man. You can waterboard the shit out of people as long as you're at the center of the earth. <laughs> as long as you're in Mole Man country. <laughs> but, uh... Welcome to Mole man country <laughs> that's mm. for Marlboro cigarettes yep. <laughs> so they they're in these te- so this huge prison has been set up to hold three prisoners cobra commander destro and t- two before prisoner tbd <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's it that's totally it they and, have no more space for tanks and the whole yeah. time the warden is like so happy that snake eyes is there they finally caught snake eyes yeah. and they Could take you a- made your can you give me my signature, Snake Eyes? And did I mention that the entire time Snake Eyes is in his signature armor and helmet? Yeah. So they let him keep on his superhero costume as they brought him to jail. And they brought his fucking katanas with him, too. Yeah. Like, you some. would think those would go into evidence. <laughs> for some reason, his whole armory is with him, and it's not till they're about, they're prepping him to put him in the tank that they take his helmet off and realize it's yeah. Storm Shadow. They're like, oh, well, I mean, as an afterthought, maybe we should just uh, remove this uh, helmet. What the? It's, that's a different guy than the prisoner we thought we had well put him in the tube <laughs> put him in the tank <laughs> the same way that like let's say dan robbed a bank wearing a gorilla mask and i was at a halloween party with a gorilla mask on and the police arrested me i went to trial they were walking me to prison they and then maybe dan killed someone so i'm on death row i'm about to be brought to the electric chair and they're like you know what before we give you the chair let's take this mask off they see it's me and they go you're not the guy that was supposedly the murderer. Strap well, him in, boys. we got the chair. <laughs> Strap him in yep, and kill him. I got the work order. It says one guy in gorilla mask. <laughs> the work order just says man in gorilla mask, and that's what you had on. So, so they... It's not my job to sort gorillas. <laughs> <laughs> Get a gorilla sorter for that, but we can't. All the best gorilla sorters were hired by Joe Camel <laughs> as part of his gorilla intelligence Joe operation. <laughs> But anyway, it's a good union to get in, by the way. Oh, the gorilla sorters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. great pay, great benefits. Did you just say grape benefits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grape ape. Uh, yeah, benefits. yeah, grape ape benefits. If you don't, if you don't pay overtime, then grape ape comes in and attacks you. <laughs> what? He's so, so benevolent. <laughs> a benefit. <laughs> it's a benefit to the union. I guess that's so, true. So. They throw Storm Shadow in this tube, and they fill him up with this liquid that paralyzes you, but I guess he, since he's a super ninja, <laughs> it doesn't affect him, and he fights his way out, and he's got tons of shurikens that he's just he throwing all over the place. all over him, dude. While he's fighting... Yeah, when you're that good of a ninja, you can turn anything into a shuriken. They did not, so he's just they did the, not like, pat him down before they put him in the tube. I, like, I assume... Uh, so you have to... Yeah, he's just came in with all those You weapons. don't pat down a ninja. There's going to be like you little sleep darts stars on him? So no, just, just put him in. He's got throwing stars hidden in his rectum, I guess, that he just takes... Out and Covered in blowfish them. toxin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which you really don't want to store in your rectum. That is going to get into your blood. Well, when you're a great ninja, you can do whatever you want. Apparently, uh, so that while he's fighting out from the inside to free Cobra Commander, uh, Firefly, a former Joe who's now a bad played guy, by Ray Stevenson, played by Ray Stevenson, Punisher Warzone. He's fighting in from the outside, and he does this with his tiny little robot fireflies that explode, and also with his <laughs> motorcycle that he rides up, then jumps off of. It splits into pieces and then explodes against the door to open up an entrance. Yeah. So he's got no ride home. <laughs> so he's got, but it was super cool the way he lost yeah. his ride home. Uh, so and there's no one alive to watch him do it. That's the thing. They literally, and they look at Destro and his two security cameras. Oh, yeah, so. I guess you're right. And they go, Destro, 
you you're out the you're out of the band, and then they leave, and then blow the place up. So I guess Destro is dead now. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, probably. But the uh, best thing is that Walton Goggins' character was explaining like all the weaknesses of this place in LA. It's like great, he's explaining the weaknesses so that uh, this guy can break out. And then Walton Goggins is the one who utilizes those weaknesses to blow everybody up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. manages to it's a twist to heavily burn the back of Storm Shadow as he does so. Uh, but yeah. Cobra Commander gets out, and here's where the movie okay. The movie was kind of bland and boring up to this point. Great performance by uh, Walton Goggins. Mm -hmm. Fun performance by Jonathan Price. (laughs) R.I.P. But rest in peace, the warden. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here's where... And this is going to go back on what I said before about people wanting adult versions of their cartoon characters. And I realized when like the new Michael Bay Ninja Turtles trailer came out and I didn't give a shit, I was like, oh, I guess I don't really care when they change stuff about stuff I liked as a kid. Because the version I liked as a kid is still there. But Cobra Commander starts speaking, and he has a super deep voice. And for some reason, at the core of my being, this really bothered me. Yeah. So I guess I'm a hypocrite is what it comes down to. Yeah, he but should be one, like two notches down from Crypt Keeper. He should have, yeah, he should have a really high-pitched, scratchy voice because he's supposed to sound like a snake. <clears throat> yeah, snakes real... wouldn't, have high pitch, wouldn't have low-pitched voices. Yeah, no way. <laughs> and also, yes. When snakes speak, they're always super squeaky. And they go like this. Yes. They always, the S's are drawn out. Like that drug dealing snake man from that anti-drug commercial. You remember the one? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that PSA from the late 80s. Anyway, the point is, I don't know who thought, who's tr- big I'm great like idea. I'm trying to remember the Jungle Book. <laughs> yeah, well, he uh, he has a kind of a high-pitched voice, right? Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Ka? I don't yeah, Ka. Uh, he, the point is, Cobra Commander is the one G.I. Joe character who's really fun and why mm-hmm. would you defund him by taking away his high-pitched, silly <laughs> voice and not once in the movie have him go, retreat, <laughs> which was his thing. Because it turns out Cobra Commander is really bad at what he does. Yeah, well, he's, but he's very good at keeping his people alive by retreating. But no, he's not. <laughs> and he by loses. having them eject from planes. His retreat always explode. is him in an escape pod with the Baroness, and the rest of his men are killed by lasers. Yeah, Major Blood might get away in a Hiss tank, but that's about it. And like Zartan will get away, and sure. what's what's Doctor Mindbender is going to hang out with his weird outfit. What are the twins' names outfit? again? Moma and Nadon. Uh, Tomax and Zaymot. Yeah, that's Zaybars and uh, <laughs> Zagas. They usually get away, but uh, basically, if you have a name, you'll you'll escape. But if you're just one of the faceless what? Cobra Legion, yeah, or a, or a bat. Usually, the bats are the ones that all get shot. The robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beep boop. <laughs> thanks, thanks for bringing us back around right. with that. So anyway, uh, Storm Shadow breaks them out, which leads us to plot number three, oh which boy. is that Snake Eyes, the uh-huh. real Snake Eyes, is taking commands from his master, played by the RZA, <laughs> that he has to go catch... In the most convincing performance of the movie. <laughs> that they the have RZA to go... channeling his best Mads Mikkelsen impression. <laughs> yeah, Snake Eyes, and his in that he is doing food-based puns. <laughs> uh, Snake Eyes and his apprentice Jinx, who's a lady, they have to go catch Storm Shadow because Storm Shadow killed everybody's sensei, Hard Master. <laughs> Which sounds like from he got the, his from name... From the cartoon, dude. He got, he his... got his name from a... Uh, Translated condom wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Applicate hardmaster, please, <laughs> on private stick area for best safe. For best fun times. <laughs> for best fun time safety virus. <laughs> but yeah. It was just called a no baby wrapper. <laughs> hardmaster, no baby wrapper. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, what's this, this is, and this is a plot that. 
doesn't really line up with the rest of the movie, but somehow I must have missed the scenes where everybody communicates because without much communication between these three Joes who are on the run and Snake Eyes, they all meet up at the same place and are working on the same plan. Yeah. But the, but so Roadblock and Flint and Lady Probably J. Probably Facebook or Twitter or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they're all they following each other on Instagram. plans to each other. They, uh, they're all wearing Google Glass and doing a Google Hangout. What are they, yeah. babies? Goo Goo Glasses? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Goo Goo Glasses, which is uh, with the glasses that babies wear so that they can, I guess, see things like an adult sees. I yeah, like in uh, that movie Brain Scan where, oh, wait. You know, the where he plays a video game and kills people? Sure. What does that have to do with babies? <laughs> I don't know. Are you thinking of Jim Henson's brain scan babies? <laughs> yep. Featuring but, little Eddie Furlong? But, uh, so... So anyway, the, important the, thing three, is like, the three Joes come back to America, and they set up shop in an abandoned gym. Yeah. And they do a, a little bit of, like, James Bondy, yeah. Mission Impossible type, uh, sending Lady J... Well, that Lady J seduces and uh, and then they kidnap an assistant to the president so that they can then sneak Lady J into some kind of fancy ball that the president's at so they can steal a hair off of his head and catch check the DNA to make sure he's not a Zartan, which so it turns out he is. What's great is that a warden in a top-secret prison can recognize like all these secret agents on site, mm-hmm. but the president... Can't recognize Lady J. Who is a cobra? Yeah. (laughs) Zartan. Regardless that he's the president and he's met all these Joes, I guess. He's Zartan and he's fought them all. Yeah. But he uh, but and also like... and also James Carville is at the event because <laughs> one he will do anything for money and appear in anything and two he is the most cobra y looking character yeah. in the whole movie. Yeah, James he looks Car- like a he looks like a cobra snake. <laughs> Much more co- James Carville looks like put a hoodie on him. He looks like a, a cobra. He, it looks like Globulus used his snake making gas <laughs> on James Carville, and that's why he's that's why he's the snake man from Jonah Hex, basically. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in the credits he was listed as Nemesis Enforcer. <laughs> But meanwhile, uh, Snow Baby or whatever the fuck his name is. Snow Baby? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who you're referring to. Storm Shadow? Storm Shadow. So Snake Eyes and Jinx go and get Storm Shadow from the <laughs> yeah. mountain re- ninja yeah, refuge he's been, that he's healing He's been at. burnt up. He, of course, they got to put him in some pagodas on the edge of a mountain <laughs> to heal him. <laughs> and a combination so a, of ancient uh, magics and high technology. Yes. Yeah, and they have a big repelling fight. And it is repellent. <laughs> they have a fight through the mountains that involves a lot of zip lines and grappling hooks, which sounds great, but the geography of it is... And let's say one thing. So the director of this movie directed a bunch of dance movies. Yeah, right? he made he made the two Justin Bieber concert films, and he made Step, Step Up, up two, 2 and, and 3. And Step Up 3. And the Step Up and movies... And a bunch of dance TV shows. I assume in the Bieber movies and in the Step Up movies... He's really good at capturing choreography, choreography dance on film. Yeah. So that you know where all the dancers are in relation to each other. You see the moves. He is so bad at doing that with action scenes. Yeah. You don't know where anyone is in relationship to anybody else. You don't know what's going on. There's no sense of them being in a physical space. So they're fighting on the side of a mountain, but the whole thing feels like if they if their repelling lines got cut, they could just walk up the side of the mountain and walk around. It's like there's no sense that anyone any of the heroes are ever in danger at any point. And when people's like uh, repelling lines get cut, they kind of float there for a second, look around, hold up a sign. It <laughs> says, pull. "Uh-oh!" Yeah. yeah. Um, There's but, that scene where uh, Zartan paints a tunnel on a wall, then runs into it, and then the good guys slam into it afterwards because it's just a tunnel wall. But uh, meanwhile, uh, we've met Bruce Willis, who's so, very sleepy. The Joe, so so Snake Eyes and Jinx catch her Storm Shadow. 
It turns out he was framed for the murder of Hardmaster yeah. by Zartan, who apparently is 85 years old. Because yeah, he was an old man old. When, when these ninjas were kids. But uh, So they all meet up and they go, they go we're going to need some help. Let's get the, the reason we're called G.I. Joe. And it turns out it's this old retired General Joe, played by Bruce Willis. Yeah, in the sleeviest performance mm-hmm. since, I guess, the last thing yeah. he did. General I. Joe. General Ignatius Joe. <laughs> and he's just got a bunch of... Uh, basically, he's got weapons hidden behind every part of his house. Like, it's a, just like a montage of, like, I'm opening this cupboard, Which, and there's guns. And now, if this was yeah. the tone of the whole movie... this other thing, and here, there's guns. So here's part of the problem with the movie. The tone is not silly enough to be, like, popcorn fun, mm-hmm. and not serious enough to be like a born movie where it's fun but you believe that there's some kind of realistic action yeah. going on or something. It's not it's both not smart and serious enough to be taken seriously as a thriller and it is not goofy crazy enough to be like a cartoon movie. Well yeah because it it doesn't feel comfortable being goof as goofy as I think it wants to be because they don't want to in, insult the fans. Yeah, I guess so. But I, that so like the one of the few moments that worked for me as a goofy moment is when they reveal that Literally everything in Bruce Willis's house—the cupboards, the closets, just think his kitchen drawers—they all hide guns and knives and other weapons. Yeah. And at one point, he opens up a closet door and he pulls out this ten, eleven foot long rack of guns. It's like, <laughs> how did that fit in that closet? Like, he opens up his garage. He's got Mary just, Poppins bag in there. He opens up a, his garage and there's just a tank in it. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a fucking bag of holding. And if the t- <laughs> and if the tone of the movie was. This is the kind of movie where a guy has guns hidden in every panel of his house. I'd be because he's a he's a retired soldier who I guess never got out of the covert yeah. ops game. Then I'd be like, okay, this is a silly movie. I could deal with that. But most he's, importantly, he's got General George S. Patton's gun. Yeah, which is in a velvet lined. It's box. like the uh, there's a one of the Lupin uh, animated movies. There's like an evil tin pot dictator who loves knives, and when Fujiko like breaks into his office. Every drawer she pulls open is full of just loose knives. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what this was like. But we're, I mean, we're we're getting to my favorite part of the movie, like the part that the part was where goofy. the part where Lady J is in running shorts and she bends over. No, we've passed that already. That was uh, also a good part. The part of the movie. where Lady J takes off her dress and changes into other clothes. That was also a good part of the movie. But I was gonna say the goofy thing that I like is when we finally get to know what Jonathan Price's uh, plan is, and oh. it is. So, yeah, so Jonathan Price has asked all the nuclear nations in the world to come to Fort Sumter for a nuclear summit. Here's the thing. Even North Korea is invited, and they show up, which is crazy. Israel is invited. Israel has denied having nuclear weapons for decades. Everyone knows they have them, but they never officially announced it. But I guess if there's a summit, I'll just show up, whatever. And Yeah, Jonathan- man, free, free uh, crab cakes. <laughs> they want to see it. Yeah, because the, because the Jewish state is going to go for the crab cakes, Dan. They're gonna it's a, go it's a for forbidden their pleasure. Okay, you know what? Throw some bacon on those crab cakes while you're at it. They're in a different zip code. They don't care. They <laughs> don't care what's yeah, tray for not. God totally doesn't notice <laughs> what you, where you. Hey, all I look at is if you're eating at home. You know that, that yeah. doesn't matter to me. I'm these commandments. They only apply to one country. <laughs> crab cakes. <laughs> now I just ima- I imagine like. The, the Prime Minister of Israel comes oh, over to your house and you're like, but... can I get you a shrimp cocktail? Perhaps a cheeseburger? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've just it's blended pretty, up it's... some milk and some beef in this blender. I've made you some <laughs> Hyrax Parmesan, because Hyraxes are also not kosher. Oh, sure, that's 
It's pretty borscht belty in front of the <laughs> Jewish prime minister. Yeah, well, just offer him a belt full of borscht, why don't you? <laughs> sure. Uh, but the point is that... So he, he brings them all there and he says, I want to imagine a world with no nuclear weapons. So uh, <laughs> everybody, if you don't get rid of all your nuclear weapons, I'm going to launch America's nuclear weapons at you. And they're like, that's crazy. And he goes, okay, and presses the launch button. <laughs> so all of the nuclear warheads in Which America apparently, like, launch. His, like, but like In this movie, the nuclear football isn't just a thing that has the launch codes in it. It's a traveling briefcase that can literally launch all of the weapons from that briefcase, from briefcase just by pushing a button. And also, we learned that if you launch nuclear weapons, it appears on a big TV screen above you, even mm -hmm. if you're from another country. So all the other countries are like, what? We retaliate. They launch they all their bring out their briefcases. <laughs> they all bring out their briefcases and launch their weapons. They're all labeled in their own like, languages with like a little label maker. Like, well, oh, they can label on in, in somebody else's languages. I know, but it's just like <laughs> they aren't like they aren't like really fancy things. They're just like someone like pulled out like one of those grocery label yeah, things. Yeah, well, you can't if, like, you, if you if you spend too much if you try to put something on too nice, it might hit the button yeah. and you launch the the codes. But I Let's just imagine them, me, like uh, you know mistakenly what? putting the launch launch label on the wrong button. <laughs> I would just love the I would love to talk to the prop designer who put the effort into like designing each different sh fucking briefcase mm -hmm. for this stupid movie. What would a Russian briefcase look like <laughs> compared to a French briefcase? So yeah. all the nations in the world that have nuclear weapons launch their nuclear weapons and Jonathan Price says, now the world's gonna die unless one of us unilaterally destroys the nuclear weapons. Anyone want to do it? Fine, I'll do it. And he destroys all the American nuclear weapons with one button. <laughs> yeah. And then, so everybody else destroys theirs too. They're like, oh, and, I guess we better follow suit now that this yep, is happening too. This is hot <laughs> shrapnel raining down on the planet. We're going to look like a bunch of goofs <laughs> <laughs> if, if everybody shoots off their missiles against America. So he has another just missile parts, and I assume <laughs> the radioactive cores of the missiles just falling down. We'll, ju we'll just forget the part where this asshole just launched all his nuclear weapons and at And Jonathan us. Price goes, Welcome to a world without nuclear weapons, even though, like, there's still thousands of nuclear weapons yeah. that are just not on the launch pads. Yeah. But meanwhile... Meanwhile, arriving by fanboat... It's Cobra Commander. Uh -oh, and his, with ninja! And his ninja brigades, and nobody seems to bat an eye at this, <laughs> because I guess the, the president just rolls with a bunch of ninjas usually. They thought they were at a Comic-Con. Cobra Commander says, now that you don't have any nuclear weapons, we have our weapons, the Zeus Satellite Project. <laughs> and these satellites... Basically, just drop big metal tubes. Yeah, spikes. And because of gravity, I guess they strike with more power than a nuclear weapon, but without the radioactive fallout. So they're actually not as bad as nuclear weapons. Not as weapons. scary. And Tilbert takes a moment to destroy London, which so, is which kind is handled of shocking in within this movie. about within about. 20 seconds, you just see all of London destroyed, and it's like, all right, I guess they just killed millions of people, and G.I. Joe... We're not Joe, really talking about that for the rest of the film? And that's when G.I. Joe strikes, yeah. and... Uh, well, you gotta wait until one country's exploded. And as Dan said while we were watching, they couldn't have done it before <laughs> in time to save London. And no, yeah, well, nobody, they gotta draw first blood. You don't want to go that, in. Yeah, you need to be able to accuse them of something. Yeah, just put them on trial. I don't even think the British Prime Minister, who I assume is there as a nuclear weapon holding country, is even cares that much. Yeah. That London is. There's no moment. You would imagine you like, be in tears. Yeah, uh, my entire family. Everyone I know is dead. It's so much oh, history. God, the Queen. Oh Lord, <laughs> my whole culture. He's just like, what? Come on, man. <laughs> so, uh, Cobra Commander says we'll launch these satellites at everybody. Well, these satellites are already automatically launched. So, but we'll, we'll only stop them if you give me total allegiance. The Joes attack. 
There's a bunch of explosions. It's a really ca- uh, storm shadow. It turns out he's with the heroes, we, which we already knew. So he again, rather yeah, than yeah, why didn't he save <laughs> London? <laughs> the plot, the plan involves Storm Shadow getting the president, get and just and taking the nuclear suitcase. But he waits until after the nuclear missiles are launched disarmed and London is destroyed <laughs> before he decides to break out his part of the plan. By these satellites that were shot into space, how? This all must have happened while Cobra Commander was in his tube. So did he set up this plan ahead of time, or have they been doing it without his supervision? And here's the thing. Z- Zaytan, Zartan is the president. Zaytunes. Zaytunes. <laughs> Zaytunes. Zatarans. <laughs> Look, uh, Zingbat is... is Ziggy. Ziggy. How much better would it be if Ziggy had impersonated the president and he just can't get anything to work can't for get him? A break. Can't catch can't get a break. <laughs> Ziggy, uh, no, actually, he's just President Ziggy. Forget about impersonating. <laughs> president Ziggy, you got that peace pl- that peace summit coming up with the Russians? Oh boy, I don't know. Uh, Vice <laughs> Vice President Parrot isn't giving me any respect. <laughs> Vice President, well, Vice Pre- it would be Vice President Silent Dog who looks kind of like Ziggy, yeah. and it would be the uh, the leader of the opposition would be that sassy parrot, like the yep. Republican leader is the sassy parrot. The the complaint office is closed by executive order. <laughs> Let's see how they like it. Uh, um, so of course, Wallace Shawn plays Ziggy, President yeah. Ziggy. So that's the sequel to Ziggy, the movie I pitched five years yeah. ago. <laughs> the sequel's called Ziggy in Chief. It's, yeah, okay, Ziggy in Chief, I could say that. What about uh, Hail to the Zig? Sure. It's fuck Ziggy in Chief. It's called Hail to the... No, no, the tagline is Hail to the Zig. Mm-hmm. Here's, okay, here's the trailer. So Commander in Grief. Here's the, here's the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Commander and why me? The, <laughs> yeah. So here's the trailer. You see news stories of like terror attack at such and such, Russia invading Crimea, da da da, all these problems, all these problems. And then uh, you just see a shot of the White House and like an aide rushing through the hallway and he slaps a file on the president's desk. Of course, the chair is turned with his back to us. He slaps a file on the desk. Sir, we've got a crisis on our hands. The chair turns. Bass drop. <laughs> bass drop. It's Ziggy in the chair and he goes, why me? <laughs> and then cue rap music, and then it's like shots of Ziggy, like, I guess, it like... It takes two to make a thinker. <laughs> wow, Rob Bass. I never thought being the president would be so difficult. But there's also like a sexy, like, speaker of the house that has a, that Ziggy's gonna flirt with, and then <laughs> and then at the end it says, hail to the Zig. Mm-hmm. Ziggy in chief, hail to the Zig. This summer, hail to the Zig. But anyway, that's a different movie. That's not G.I. Joe <laughs> retaliation. Uh, the So the point is, Cobra's plan is crushed almost instantly as soon as these four Joes get into action. Yeah. And these four Joes, again, are The Rock, Lady J, this guy Flint, who has no charisma yeah, or personality, and old Bruce Willis. Yeah. And Snake Eyes. And Snake Eyes. Who who walks down a flight of stairs just firing Uzis. <laughs> just firing Uzis in the air. I guess probably killing some presidential aides. Uh, yeah, and a couple of the, the leaders of those other nations. And I love, okay, my favorite moment, also this, and... Uh, Lady Actually, Jay. that's bullshit. He can shoot shuriken out of the air. He, he won't U- shoot anybody. He's the shoot. fire shurikens, probably. <laughs> probably. It's like that Ninja Turtles pizza shooter gun <laughs> that shot those plastic discs. What a delicious way to die! <laughs> <laughs> I used a pizza bullet. That way, there's no evidence. <laughs> they just I think the victim the devoured his own meat. <laughs> they just of think death. he ate some pizza. <laughs> the uh, and his kidney. <laughs> They, th- they thought he ate pizza in the head. So That's the only way he eats pizza. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me figure this out. Policeman picks up pizza slice, spits into mouth. Yep, this is how we do it, all right. So 
Uh, sure, it was in his forehead. Yeah, it migrated. I don't know. But the best part of this plan is that Cobra <laughs> Commander is so cocky that he has the Cobra flag pulled up the flagpole at the White House, and two big Cobra banners are, are dropped They're the just top. waiting for the sign. And it's like, one, when did they print those banners up? <laughs> Joanne Fabrics must have been slammed that day when they bought all that stuff. I need them by next Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know, 40-foot banners with this terrorist insignia on it. I don't know if we should do it. I'll pay you extra. Just rush the order. <laughs> we got a lot of print jobs. Please, I have a plan. This is very important. <laughs> and so, and by, and what's great is that Cobra's not even at the White Cobra Manor's not at the White House when they do this. So I guess he's just imagining what it's going to look like. <laughs> and then, since the Joes defeat them almost instantly, I guess the Cobra off, off, uh, operatives at the White House just give up and take the banners down. <laughs> uh, we got to hold on to no, those. No, no, no. We were to... on your side the whole time. Uh, we did this as a gag. We're double agents, just like uh, Snow Snow Baby. That's why we didn't un- un- <laughs> Snow Baby. <laughs> Snow Baby would be such a great name for a character. So anyway, uh, yeah. the Joes win. <laughs> they yeah. they kill everybody in a long action sequence that is not choreographed very well. Surprise, surprise. Uh, There's this great scene of uh, the Rock driving something around. The yeah. Rock drives around this driving tank. like a tank dune buggy <laughs> that that fires <laughs> missiles, but not before he gets in a fan boat chase, with Firefly. Because <laughs> of course you got to be in a fan boat. Yeah. Why? Why not? Because he's a Cajun, I guess. And. Uh, he manages to get the Cobra briefcase and hit the abort button in time to stop the satellites from destroying other cities, but the abort button also blows up all the satellites, which seems like a weird feature to build into your into your death weapon. Yep. And then they, uh, the satellites rain down on the planet. Mm-hmm. And Cobra Commander escapes in a helicopter, never to be seen again. You know what? I bet there was an after credit sequence, and we just didn't even wait yeah, for it. Yeah, we didn't bother. That probably a Cobra Commander like meeting with Nick Fury or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? sure. Or a scene of Bruce Willis's wife finding all these guns on accident. You know what it was? Honey! <laughs> I bet it was you go through the wreckage of the base, and you go to the tube that Destro's in, and like... Destro opens his eyes and then smiles. There's so many options. We're going to have to watch this when we, we get We got to watch the whole movie over again. Uh, no, so. It's so on the, Netflix, no, guys. No, no, we got to watch the whole movie over again to see it in context. So the president has been saved. The Joes have been cleared. They all get medals. And Snake Eyes is still in his ninja full body with helmet mm. outfit, and he's getting a medal, which is weird. <laughs> uh, and it's just weird that Snake Eyes is like a well-known guy mm-hmm. and who just walks around in his full armor. That was a cool dude, Snake Eyes. I know that guy. Yeah. It, it, it's, it doesn't He's a well-known member of the, what, Arashikage Ninja Squad <laughs> This famous or Ninja Squad led by, anyway, but it doesn't and, uh, and, and so, and uh, Bruce Willis gives, he has one of George Patton's pistols. He gives it to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, says, for when you catch up with Cobra Commander, because I guess... It, Cobra Commander killed Patton? I don't know why. Somehow that's revenge <laughs> guess, for something? Yeah, I guess he's giving him <laughs> the ability, like, license to kill? I don't... And in this is my second favorite moment in the movie. The last shot of the movie, literally, is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, after just having a medal pinned on him by Bruce Willis, in the presence of the president, and this is appearing live on television, just, aim, just points the Patton pistol at the sky and fires... <laughs> And it's like, one... This isn't 4th of July. This is, one, so Bruce Willis was just carrying around a loaded gun in a velvet-lined case all this time. <laughs> and usually historical memorabilia guns are not loaded, but... I, uh, thought, I thought he he pulled the uh, ammunition out of the box. Oh, did he? I missed that then. If that's the case, he still... Um, he just fired a loaded You'll weapon. It? I'll, I'll allow it then. He fired a loaded weapon just in the presence of the president, <laughs> which is kind of against the rules, I'm guessing. Yeah. 
So, uh, but end of movie, ready for GI Joe 3D. Yeah, rock and metal tune. Probably no. A it goes straight to credits. how you like me now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the most bland uh, credits music you could think of. And yeah. the credits are just showing us scenes from the movie. Scenes from a mall. <laughs> scenes from. <laughs> for marriage. some reason, it's a montage <laughs> of scenes from a mall with with what was it? Woody Allen and Bette Midler. <laughs> yep. And, and, and then scenes from scenes from a marriage with Liv Ullman. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. is it Liv uh, Ullman in scenes from a marriage? Yes, I think so. Um, so let's let's go directly to final judgments. Was this a good bad movie? A bad bad movie or a movie you kind of liked? Elliot, what do you have to say about this? It like it's just such a bland kind of dull movie. I wanted it to be a good bad movie, and there are moments when it was like, oh, here's the good bad movie. It could have been, but it it wasn't even like didn't even reach the level of bad bad movie. It's just kind of like there, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like trying to judge like. A piece of wood you see in the street, like <laughs> I guess it's there. I can't I deny it that, exists. You can't say that's a good bad piece of wood. No, I'm it's seeing pr- it. I mean, as I pieces of wood go, it's fine. It's just there. I know it's. I mean, there's no way to. It's just lying there doing nothing. Yeah. I had to see and seeing as I I watched a little bit of Tango and Cash on TV today, which really showed me what a good bad movie could be. This didn't, you know. Yeah, I I I thought that, that mostly it was a bad bad movie. <laughs> the good bad sequence in it, as I said, like that I liked the most was. When Jonathan Price had his plan, which was just counting on the fact that if he unleashed a bunch of nukes, everyone else would follow suit. And then if he disarmed the nukes, everyone else would follow suit. Even and then North there Korea. were no more nukes in the world after that. There's this great moment where everyone's disarmed he's a their nukes. St- he's a student of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zartan must know people in order to become them. There's a, Everyone's destroyed their nukes except North Korea. And they're like, North Korea. <laughs> and the North Korean guy's like, mm. Okay, and turns them off. And it's yeah. like this weird peer pressure moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I if, mean, this, if this movie had, if you could accurately encapsulate this movie by the Cobra banners being unveiled at the White House, then it would have been a good, bad movie. Or even a movie I kind of liked, but it's not. Stuart. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think we are all, all agreeing it's a bad, bad movie. And I feel like when I saw the trailers, I thought maybe this could be either a movie I kind of liked or maybe even a good, bad movie. But. It feels like the entire movie was just cut to be trailers. Like yeah. everything's so rapidly cut. It's just yeah, it's so bland. Yeah, it feels like they built the trailer first and then they built the movie out of trailer parts. Yeah. <laughs> uh so we have an, a sponsor again this week. Um this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, portfolio and online store. Uh, for a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com slash flophouse and enter offer code flophouse at checkout. Ironically, Squarespace, not a space for squares. No. It's for cool people. It's for cool dudes like you. Um, you know, Don't pander. <laughs> All right. Don't uh, say that. Uh, we've said before, look, if you're living in this modern world and you don't have a website. Tom Tomorrow's Comics? What's <laughs> going on? What's happening? You need a website. It's the 21st century. You need a website, dummy. Start your website. I don't care what it is. Maybe it's part of the, like, uh, Morgan Fairchild fan ring. Just, <laughs> sure. just put it up. Put up your website. <laughs> yeah, what are you waiting for? Even you waiting for someone started, else to put up your website for you? The guy who started Aquafan.com got a website. Yeah, come on. Squarespace makes it easy with beautiful designs, with drag-and-drop content, with 24-7 support via live chat and email. Dragons? Um, and uh, plans start at a mere eight dollars a month, including a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Usually, you got to buy those things separately: hosting yeah. and domain. 
Uh, and it also has responsive design. That means that if you're looking at it on a mobile device, like a phone or a tablet, it will reconfigure for you. Um, so why don't you start a trial with no credit card required and build your website today. Go to, again, squarespace.com slash flophouse and enter flophouse to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for us, the, the flophouse. Flop flop and house. you know what else? You don't know what to do with your website that you're getting from Squarespace? Make it a Flophouse fan site. Yeah, why not? Come on, guys. There aren't enough of those out there, Pump right? up the jams. Not yet. They'll never Pump be Pump up the jams, as Dan said. <laughs> don't know Straight how to from the ad copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make sure you say pump up the jams in the ad. They'll understand. <laughs> Pump up the jams. Anyway, Stuart, I believe you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, uh, I know you guys... Uh, you guys are trying to put on a brave face, um, but <laughs> yes, we, we got to let everybody know that the Flophouse is in trouble. You know, We're in we trouble. are uh, coming up on our busy season, the summertime, and uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys have been reading the paper, but uh, <laughs> local land developer Reginald Bucksworth, no, that yes, asshole, yeah, that Pardon asshole, my language, I just, you know. Brooklyn uh, land developer Reginald Bucksworth you know is planning like? on demolishing. The flop house no. to make way for some fucking condos or something. You no, know, but that's where the kids hang out. And you know what I don't like about that Reginald Bustworth guy? <laughs> his snootiness. <laughs> He's, He's the so snootiest snooty. guy. And you know, always we, wearing his white suit and driving around in the back of his Lincoln Town car. We tried to do some bikinis optional Jeep tours around Brooklyn, but it was just so expensive. Mm. And it's and frankly, it's weird to drive a do a Jeep tour around Brooklyn. Exactly. It's too slow. And uh when we said bikinis optional, too many people just chose not to wear a bikini and wore their normal clothes. Yeah, and that was kind of a out. bummer. And the breakdance competition we thought would save it. We forgot and put Dan Noni's McCoy in as our contestant. <laughs> and I broke my dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so uh, you, the listeners, can actually help us save the Flophouse, hashtag save the Flophouse, <laughs> by, <laughs> by contributing. This guy uh, you need to, to go it. to estoymerchandise.com uh, and buy a T-shirt. That uh, says the flop ass on it has our faces to show your support and show that you're standing up against snooty ass wipes like, like Reginald, Reginald Bucksworth, Bucksworth. <laughs> the third. Uh, they're twenty five bucks and it'll make you look like you are a courageous, brave GI Joe style human being. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's quite a lot of pressure to put on a t shirt, but these t shirts can hold up to it. Uh, but now, now that the business has been taken care of and business is good, we can okay <laughs> move on. <laughs> To uh, bad business, a little a little interactive <laughs> segment with you, the listener, that we call um. <laughs> we call the Flophouse. So we're going to you. Um. sit around while you try and call in. I guess we're outside your home. Unlock your door. We're coming in. <laughs> no, this is uh, letters from listeners. Oh, the letter segment is phew. What um, a relief. Oh, it God. was only the letters, not Dan sexually harassing the listeners. Listeners well. write in, reprimand Dan. Dan can't do that. It's not okay. No means no, Dan. No means no. Even if that no is written in a letter from a listener harassed by Dan. Letters is brought to you by Dan's Restraining Order. <laughs> Thank you, Elliot. If you see Dan, report him to a cop. <laughs> this uh, first letter. Thank you for that Foley. That James Foley... This is <laughs> this James Foley. That's not even a kid in the hall. <laughs> this is titled 
spooktacular flophouse dream. Mm, a lot of flop <laughs> I like the pronunciation of that. Uh, dear Dan and dudes, I kind of had a I've dream. I've upgraded to dude. <laughs> I've kind of, I kind of had a dream that featured you guys last night. Creepy, right? The original Peaches, the house cat, and I had to spend a night in Dracula's house for a million dollars. Wait, so not Dracula's castle, his house? Well, literally, so was it like a bungalow? Literally, his next sentence: It wasn't a castle; it was a house. Pretty it's nice, like a ranch though. style. Or? Yeah, yeah, it was an open floor ranch house, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright style. Dracula woke up and he was pretty angry. Wait, so we were spending the night, but Dracula didn't know we were there. <laughs> I asked him what he dreamt about, and he replied, sounding a lot like Elliot. Poison, as always. A spectacular melee ensued. How do you defeat Dracula? You put him in a sleeping bag and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Thanks for the laughs Big and the really good bad dream. That's anti last name withheld from Finland. Well, thank you for listening and uh, for dreaming about us, I guess, and having the single wussiest Dracula, <laughs> I think, ever in history uh-huh. in your dream. Um, so I like to think this is a retired Dracula <laughs> living in like yeah, Taos exactly. or something. Yeah, this is like the gay bat Dracula who's just... Oh, gay bat Dracula. Yeah. From, from, food, from, fight. Food, from fight. food Fight. At least a gay bad Dracula. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> from Dracula. That's, that's Frankenstein insulting Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> you mean Frankenstein's gay, monster. Gay uh, bad no, Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein would run in fear from Dracula. <laughs> Unless it's like Doc Frankenstein is sitting there and he can insult Dracula because his monster's right behind him. Like a, Do you just uh, call him Doc Frankenstein? Like you're like his... Maybe like his intern or something. Well, we'll check the tape later. But like, it's like a my bodyguard type situation. Yeah, and his inter- and and his and Igor's like Doctor Frankenstein. Come on, calling someone gay is an insult. That's no good. That's offensive. Yeah. Next, Let's, you're gonna make fun of my hump. Yeah. <laughs> Let's wrap, uh, Mummy. Can you talk about how Doctor Frankenstein has offended you today? <laughs> and the Mummy says nothing. No, the Mummy just yeah, does not talk. Only the voice of ages coming from his sandy mouth. He opens his mouth and just a bunch of scarabs fly out. So I hope that answers your question that you didn't ask. (laughs) Uh, What a mummy sounds like. (laughs) So this next letter is titled, Everyone Needs a Second Chance. Dear Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello, you know who is who. We do, yeah. I'm 34 years old. And have been a loyal listener to the Flophouse for over 20 years. Um, Your loyalty will be rewarded. I've never <laughs> had the afterlife. <laughs> I've never had the courage to send in a question, but fortune favors the seas day, so here goes. Is there a movie that you disliked on first viewing, but it had just enough to warrant a second viewing, and you subsequently came away from that viewing actually liking the movie? In my case, it was The Hobbit. I hated it the first time, but upon seeing it a second time, I enjoyed it. 15 minutes singing and dishwashing sequence included. Sincerely, Jesse, last name withheld. Uh, well, I'll, I'll speak real quickly about The Hobbit um, because I, I actually like it. Um, I feel like that's a movie that definitely rewards seeing at home when you can just sit down and take pee breaks and whatnot. I feel like when all those movies, people seem to complain a lot about the length, but I feel like when all three of them are out uh, or people can watch all three of them at home, people will just binge watch them like a fucking TV show and won't complain about how long they are anymore. Um, to actually answer your question, uh, I kind of felt that way about Scott Pilgrim. The first time I saw it, I wasn't, I didn't really like it. And, uh, but second viewing, I liked it a lot. Um, I would say, um, the thing that came to mind when reading this is a movie that I actually liked the first time, but didn't love. And that was, uh, Miller's Crossing. The first time I saw it, you know, I kind of, it, it, it was enjoyable, but it felt very surfacey to me. 
And I, I of course, didn't follow the plot because it's notoriously uh, intricate. But um, the second time when I kind of knew all the ins and outs of it, I could focus on the levels of emotion that actually do exist in that movie but aren't necessarily, like, right on the surface. And uh, now it's actually one of my uh, most highly rated uh, Coen Brothers movies. Hmm. What do you... Uh, it's hard for me to think of one, but this is not quite the same, but I think I would say uh, probably Dirty Dancing, because when I watched <laughs> okay. it when I was younger, I did not like it, but it was a big favorite of my wife's when she was growing up, and she really likes it. And you're and watching so, it like, through her eyes now. Exactly. Like, seeing it through her eyes, I can see things in it that I didn't see before that are enjoyable, and there are, and there are things about it that, like, the, like, 60s Jewish borscht belt like Adirondacks Resort locale, which I didn't know anything about when I was growing up, knowing some of that history, like I appreciate the movie a little yeah. bit more. You like it, it? You like it because you like history. Well, no, well, but it's it's a setting that like where I can see like oh that I can understand I understand totally what the setting they were recreating and like what a good portrait it is of that type of place. Whereas when I was a kid, I was like, I don't know what they're doing, where they're going. So I don't like dancing, let alone dirty dancing. The, the cleaner, the better, please. <laughs> Well, I have to say, like, I'm not a particular fan of Dirty Dancing, but uh, having this, uh, having last summer uh, gone to your house and watched it in your backyard, pr- uh, projected on a on a sheet on a sheet uh, for your wife's birthday, I really enjoyed it. Um, in in the in that context, also seeing it, I guess, through <laughs> your wife's eyes. Yeah, I mean, it helped me get over the fact that I hate that I had the time of my life song, mm-hmm. which also is. Forever associated in my mind with Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> because when because I was a kid, you've had the time of your life at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, we would have birthdays at Chuck E. Cheese, and it seemed they always played that song, because I guess Dirty Dancing had just come out. But yeah. anyway. Um, this next letter is titled, The Deep Sigh Cause. Or should I say, Dear Smelly at K- Killen, Boort Skellington, and Dan Macabre. Why is my scary name Smelly? <laughs> like, unless it's the smell of a rotting corpse. I don't understand why. Um, this letter was written during Shocktober. Sorry, Dan, I couldn't remember your Shocktober moniker, so I made one up. I've noticed you, all, you often criticize a movie by saying it suffered from bad screenwriting rather than bad directing, and vice versa. How do you make such a distinction? Is it based solely on poor dialogue, or are there other indicators? Since this question is mostly aimed at Elliot, Woo! I've... I've prepared additional questions for Dan and Stuart to answer as well. Stuart, what is the Flophouse House Cat's party drug cocktail of choice? <laughs> or is the House Cat teetotaling, uh, a teetotaling pop- Popeye's addict like Elliot? Dan, if you could eat any fake food from a movie or television show, what would you choose? <laughs> Examples include Slurm from Futurama, <laughs> Krabby Patties from SpongeBob SquarePants. SpongeBob. SpongeBob's mom. SpongeBob's. Or dehydrated for SpongeBarbara. Or dehydrated Pizza Hut from Back to the Future Part Two. Thanks. Keep up the good flopping. Sincerely, Kate. Last name withheld. P.S. I just wanted to mention that I, like Dan, suffer from a deep sigh affliction. For years, my parents, bosses, friends, and teachers have thought I was expressing exasperation when I was actually just breathing. I'm glad that us deep sighers finally have Dan to bring awareness of a necessary deep sighing to the world. So uh, I guess you are entirely responsible for the substance of this letter, and we. So it's kind of how how do you tell when it's bad writing or bad directing? Yeah, I think it's not so much dialogue is maybe a part of it, but like storytelling structure and how the plot moves or fits together, or how the characters are developed, is seems like more of a writing thing. The director affects that, but that's more the underlying script, whereas like 
the style of a movie. Like there can, you can have a, a movie that makes no sense. The characters are really thin, but the style is really cool, and that's the good direction, bad script. Or you could have a movie that's really blandly shot. Maybe the performances are not so strong. Uh, it's not paced quite right, but there's. Give me an example. Off the top of my head, it's hard. It's harder to think of a movie that's well written and poorly directed because those tend to just come out bad anyway. Yeah. Like a bad. It, there's an. It's an old saying that I am not taking credit for that. A good director can save a bad script, but a bad, a good writer cannot save a bad director. Mm. That like the director has the final imprint, and you're watching it. It's a visual movie, so a really stylish and well shot movie, or well edited or excitingly paced movie that has a crappy script can still be enjoyable. But it's rare for, but a director can really sink a good script. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the a lot of these scripts that are on the what the blacklist or whatever yeah. that end up being made into movies and end up and being they come out shitty, terrible. Yeah, like uh, Suspect Zero was that was that the movie? I don't know, but like The Beaver was one that was on one of those. Like a lot of those blacklist scripts, maybe there's something in the script that just doesn't come through that it that mm-hmm. is mangled in, in translation to the screen. But uh, but you can find, but sometimes there's like a really well written scene in an otherwise not particularly interesting movie, and I like to think that that's this, a little bit of a better screenplay coming through. But hard for me to come up with an example off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, to answer your question, um, well, I mean, the house cat is a big beer guy. He drinks a lot of beer, and that's going to mm-hmm. catch so, up with him later in life when his... Uh, maybe a Silver <laughs> Bullet fan? Like oh, yourself? well, yeah. I mean, he likes cheap beer. Uh, for a while, he drank a lot of Four loco when he was a pitch man for that product. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, that short lives. Yeah, and he, uh, you know, he if would he's, go into bars and start parties. Yeah, yeah if he's a, if he's at an, uh, you know, he likes his uh, his Jager bombs. Uh, I was trying to speak <laughs> of the parlance of that. Time, yeah, and uh, if he's at an, if he's at a nice dinner or a dinner party, he usually drinks like an oyster stout because <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. the seafood. He's a cat, you know. And if I was going to eat any uh, soylent green, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so that, that's what you, you need you to come up any, with another one real so quick. So you could have any movie food, you'd have processed human corpses. Yeah, I mean, you you'd know. have imaginary dessert from Hook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> hold on. Maybe I would. Uh, maybe I would have that lickable wallpaper from the, the Willy Wonka. That okay, like yeah, Willy fun. Wonka. That's okay, a pretty safe, safe one. It's you wouldn't because I imagine you were gonna say the sushi that was on the nude woman in Rising Sun. <laughs> it's not an, it's not an imaginary food. That's a food that exists. Mm, I have trouble <laughs> believing that actually exists. Um, so last letter, um, it goes like Sorry this. Sorry that I took your no, your no, no, it's fine. I said it as a joke, not thinking you were gonna reveal you had a cannibal inside you. Uh, no, I mean, the whole bit was going to be that I didn't know what Soylent Green was. Oh, I ruined your you bit. Oh, okay. That's that's yeah, yeah that would have taken time. Anyway, keep moving. Uh, so the next letter and last letter goes like this. Hey, Floppers. I've been Final going through your letter. back catalog. <laughs> Most impressive. And I had a couple of thoughts. All this letter reading. <laughs> Number one. You know your multi-episode guest host and Elliot replacer, Brock something? Brock Handlebar, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brock, no, Brock Mahan, not Brock Handlebar. <laughs> when I first heard him on an old episode, I was certain that Mr. Handlebar was actually Elliot doing a voice. I figured that Elliot had picked the obviously fake name Brock so he could do some sort of bit where he finally Brock got Man to act Handler. all manly. But as the episode went on, Brock didn't do anything particularly manly. Whoa! I thought he might threaten to lift you up by your undies, Dan, or at least challenge Stuart to arm wrestling. 
Maybe he talked about eating beef burgers, but nothing. Brock is actually a vegetarian, too. That's, that's a weird thing. Why did Elliot pick Brock Handlebar if he wasn't going to use the opportunity to talk about doing wheelies and to steal Dan's computer? Lame. I realized, though, when Brock returned that he probably isn't a character. But then they made a movie about the clumps, so even baffling characters get sequels. What? Anywho, the takeaways are, A, tell Brock, character man, that he's a walking missed opportunity, but that he can fix that still. And B, Elliot... I think you could sound like Brock if you wanted to. You should stick with classic Elliot, though. Number two. Thanks. <laughs> apparently, Stuart sounding like Seth Rogen is a thing. I don't see it. What I have seen from the first episode I listened to Let's, is that... We've established with the Brock-Elliot comparison, <laughs> this person's ears do not work properly. <laughs> <laughs> Letter writer, I apologize. Get your ears checked out. That's fair. You may have used a Q-tip a little too far in. Uh, but he, uh, From the first episode I listened to is that Dan sounds like Martin Starr. What a coincidence. I think that you should push the idea That's that Elliot why I read this letter. That Elliot also I mean, sounds it's not like a compliment necessarily. Uh, Elliot also sounds like a Freaks and Geeks cast member. Then you guys could role play for classic episodes or make up your own. The obvious choice for Elliot is Franco. I don't think James that's true. Franco. James Franco. But if he's not comfortable with that, Sam Levine could work too. Sam Levine is obvious. Yeah, that's yeah, an I obvious don't understand one. How like one hundred percent. This person. This, this person lovely is, person who wrote a letter and is, took the time to write us. Signed, Marley Matling. <laughs> the Mr. Um, Magoo of listening. <laughs> uh, anyway, John last name withheld. P.S. Dan, you can read this part silently in your head. You're my favorite flopper. P.P.S. Dan, since I know that if you read this letter at all, you will have read that last postscript out loud. Yeah. My actual favorite flopper is when Elliot and Stuart team up to make fun of you. To mix cartoon metaphors, it's like a two-person Voltron teasing Leonardo. (laughs) Sure. It's like two kids, uh, one on the other's shoulders, wearing a trench coat, trying to sneak into an adult's party. Yeah. Yeah. Always works. It's Dan's party, and we're just sneaking in to make fun of him. Yeah, but we... we, (laughs) We feel very sorry for your ear problems. Yeah, get that checked out. There are, you should probably stop listening to this podcast. The earbuds that you have in your ears are probably... Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be hasty. Come on. Don't be you hasty, little hobbit. Maybe use different headphones. I just imagine this Run person walking down the street and a dog barks at them. Like, <laughs> that duck of yours it seems a little strange. <laughs> what? It said quack, quack, clearly. Um, but thank thanks you for all. Hey, buddy, the, watch out. Thanks for There's taking a the falling piano. and running what? with it. Thank you. There's uh, a flying grandma. I don't think so. Piano crushes him. Uh, all of you for writing in. But now is the last segment of the show. What's About that? time, I say. The least popular segment. Recommendations of movies that we actually like. It's the part where people turn off the podcast. Um, Stuart, what's a movie you would like to recommend? Uh, I'm going to recommend the first Brian De Palma movie I ever saw. It's called Snake Eyes. It's called... (laughs) It was Raising Cane. It is Raising Cane. I was going to recommend Raising Cane. Partly, I don't think it's actually like really that great, nor does it really fit that well into the De Palma. It's fun though, but it's fun, and I think uh, and John Lithgow plays a. I mean, this is not a secret at all, but John Lithgow plays a guy with multiple personalities, and I like seeing John Lithgow. Crazy. Uh, get to not just crazy, but also kind of scary. Yeah, like he's. It's a very underused. Thing that John Lithgow can do is be scary, and I think I think the movie has a number of sequences that are genuinely creepy and tense and scary. So if you like a Brian De Palma thriller that's a little bit lower in his uh, catalog, and you like John Lithgow, I'd recommend giving it a chance. That, that was the movie I think where that a guy saw it and he said, "I gotta create a serial killer show, do like two okay seasons, 
then one really bad season with Jimmy Smits, and then do a season with that guy as a serial killer because he is creepy. Yeah. Um. So I've seen actually In that show Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, even the same the channel. Red, the Red Viper himself, Jimmy Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Senator Bail Organa, the Red <laughs> Viper. Talk about missed opportunities. Uh, I've seen a few movies recently that I... Oh, God, give us your life story. I enjoyed. <laughs> You've been oh, flying you around? Fly uh, no. <laughs> He's I, been doing a lot of flight simulators while he watches <laughs> movies. Honestly, it's been that my wife has been out of town a fair amount, so I've had more time to just waste on movies. But um, I watched... Uh, I watched Hell Baby. I enjoyed that. It's, okay. a, it's a very sloppy it's a prequel movie. to Hellboy. It's a very, very sloppy uh, comedy. It's the one if, with the poster with the chick's cleavage, right? I don't know about that, but it, like it's a, it's just, it just feels like a bunch of like sketch comedies. <laughs> You're thinking together. of boobs, the movie. <laughs> Excellent. I'm film. up for that. Hard bodies, right? <laughs> but it's a, it's a Tom Lynn and Ro- uh, Robert Ben Grant movie, but not in their Night at the Museum mode. In their more like crazy like zany low budget scrappy mode and they both play um they both basically play two different uh father guido sarducci's <laughs> um and it's about rob cordry and, and father leslie guido sarducci uh moving <laughs> into a home <laughs> and uh leslie bibb uh, has a devil baby inside her and keegan michael key is very funny in it he's probably the funniest part uh not a great movie but fun i also saw the new godzilla i enjoyed it it was a lot of fun but the movie I will recommend is a movie that needs no recommendation. So you're not recommending the other two movies? <laughs> no. So why did like why you were they mentioned? like like you have never done this before? But I recommend. I say I'm going to recommend two movies. I don't go. Let me go through the other movies I I'm saw gonna, that I'm no, not. No, I said that I like those movies. Before I get to the recommendation, let me go through Both the The thing out. is, he's giving you a taste, and then he's giving you a full meal. Yeah. These why are you complaining? Because there are other movies you can see. If you Hell want. Baby was in a moose boosh. Yeah, man. <laughs> In a moose baby. It's like we were, we were watching Hannibal, man. Uh, so kind of, but we're watching four episodes when we thought we were only getting one episode. Exactly. <laughs> it's supersized episode. Yeah, it's supersized. It and that, that it's four it during, hours long. It's that NBC period where they supersize episodes of and Hannibal, that, and you're like, it's only thirty nine cents. I might as well watch it. <laughs> Well, there's kind of story here for for a, a, like a five minutes more of Hannibal, but then they stretch it out with kind of unrelated gag scenes. Hannibal, Hannibal gets caught in an elevator with a monkey. It's weird. <laughs> it seemed like a regular Hannibal's plot. No, what I... Oh, no, okay, he's eating the monkey. All right, maybe it is. So the movie that I want to recommend is a movie that we've discussed here before and, and probably needs no recommendation for our fans, but I rewatched Videodrome and... Uh, movie. There, I mean, like the, the the dissolve did a lot of pieces on that recently that were all worth good stuff reading. Mm-hmm. Good um, it, it's a movie that's very prescient in a lot of ways. But what I actually kind yeah, of yeah, it, it totally predicted the the the, uh, <laughs> the trend of growing guns out of your hand and shoving videotapes in your belly. No, but I mean, like there, I mean, like there's a lot of talk about how it predicted like growing fascination. It's with, a Rob Layfield character, right? <laughs> <laughs> Growing fascination with his like, name's Blood Video, <laughs> living your life, living your life through screens with like the internet. But for me, what was interesting watching it was actually not looking forward, but looking like at the sort of like nostalgia to the the period it was made and the way it was when I was growing up. And like sort of cable was new, and on like the upper limits of the cable dial, you would find 
weird things that were on there just because like people needed to fill airtime. And sometimes in the middle of the night, you would see something inexplicable that would that would shock or or frighten yeah. you or disgust you yeah. during a time that like you know like now on the internet, like you were moments away from something shocking and frightening and disgusting at, at any time. Like the weirdest stuff, especially where we were, is all there. <laughs> but at the time, it was just like the the strange seediness of being able to stumble upon that is something that uh, Videodrome captures beautifully. And uh, that's what I kind of found most charming watching it again recently. There, but there's something, I think there's something comforting about the way that you can find terrible things on the internet, but like you don't feel, you feel so connected. Whereas back in the day, if you found like some fucked up weird VHS tape that somebody's like, you should watch this weird black and white thing I have. You Yeah, you feel super alone and you can't turn to anyone. And also, And you also may never find out what it is. Yes. Like there are plenty of times when you saw I something would, young. You'd see something on cable young yeah. and you'd never find out what it was. And what you just was that half remembered thing? An image. Like a, it mm-hmm. took me a long time to identify having seen a little bit of the Julie Taymor movie Fool's Fire on PBS. And it's this creepy puppet. Oh, movie. right. That's the like the adaptation of, um, of Hop, Hop Frog. Frog, I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's like not no and for years just didn't know what it was and just had the images from it in my head. And that one eventually I found out what it was thanks to the internet. But like there are things you could just stumble on something and see it and it'd be weirded out and be like, what? There wasn't even like a TV guide channel. <laughs> the TV guide only covered some channels and not all of them. You know, like you just end up not knowing what the hell you saw. You know, it's kind of like how there are those little clips of public access shows and being there. Yeah. You're like, well, never going to find out what that was. <laughs> this guy do it. Just, just yelling martial arts chants. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's what I, that's why I like, I remember loving that show, uh, Night Flight, which was just like a bunch mm-hmm. of like weird, like public domain, like clips and old like private snafu cartoons and stuff like that. Where it's just like, okay, well, this was basically the internet at that time, except for you weren't overloaded with that shit. So like, if something was weird, it carried that much more impact because you're like, yeah. what the hell is this? I have no context to put this in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it my turn, or do yeah. you have eight more movies? No, to that's it. End? Anyway, Video Drum's a good movie. Don't wait until you're done. <laughs> you're, like, you're like angry, and then you're like, but I have to admit, Video Drum. No, it's a great movie. I don't know what you need a preamble. It's like, <laughs> but, you know. So I watched about five movies recently. And uh, okay. first I'll talk about the ones I didn't like. Oh, boy. You, no. mean you always recommend three movies. I'm going to recommend one movie this okay. time. I'm going to recommend a Spaghetti Western mm-hmm. uh, from 1969 in the United States. I think it was earlier in Italy. Uh, with Lee Van Cleef called Death Rides a Horse. Uh, may have seen it. It's one that I knew the music from for a long time, but had nev- had not actually seen. Uh, you, you'll recognize the main theme if you watch it from Kill Bill, because it's used in that. But uh, this guy is... It opens with the kind of scene I don't like, which is women being assaulted by bandits. But that is the origin story of this kid who sees his family killed and attacked by bandits, but each one of them... Like had, Silent Night, Deadly Night? Uh, kind of, <laughs> except each one of them has either an earring or a necklace that's very identifiable. One has a tattoo on his chest, and he remembers them, and he grows up to be a great gunfighter, and he's going to track down each of these men and kill them. At the same time, Lee Van Cleef, who was a, gun, who was a bandit who was betrayed by his gang is out for revenge, and it seems the two of them want revenge on the same men. So they're both hunting the same people, but also in conflict with each other because both want to be the ones who take out these guys. And they gain... It's one of those spaghetti westerns where 
they gain a grudging respect for each other and like take turns basically leaving the other one in the desert to fend for himself. Uh, and it ends with a really big action scene at the end. There's a lot of good smaller action scenes. Lee Van Cleef is totally awesome in it. And it's got a great Neo Morricone score, so you can't go wrong with it. Death Rides a Horse. Playing um, at? Wherever you decide to wherever rent it. Wherever you decide to rent it. Um, is so. rated probably like... PG? I don't know. <laughs> they, they have ratings back General then? audiences? <laughs> Um, so we watched one of the most nothing movies we've ever watched, and I think this is probably the longest we've ever gone. By far. Wow. Mm, Body slam. I guess you can just... Apologies, audience. Go Joe, I guess. Yeah. G.I. Joe, that is. Hopefully you've already stopped, moved on with your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Hopefully you got through the giraffe intelligence Joe bit at the very beginning (laughs) of the episode. You decided to throw away your your podcasting equipment, your podcast listening equipment, and hug your child instead. Live your life, man. Go out there. Go out and fall in love. Why are we making this episode longer? I'm sorry. <laughs> We've been the Flophouse. And playing at? Here. But not there. Starring? Me, Dan McCoy. <laughs> and me, Stuart Wellington. And you, Elliot Kalen. Good night. Everybody. <laughs> Dan McCoy's robots. They're sexy <laughs> robots with butts. So like this Petka vodka, vodka robot, robot yeah, pretty basically. much? Yep. Yeah. Or, uh, and all the robots are somebody's wife, so it's all, extra sexy. All the me. robots in that like art book that I remember from the 80s that was always in like... Well, your Soriyama art book? Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> well, about. Like, like that Aerosmith cover. There's that one painter who does uh, just sexy robots. Yeah. He really loves His robots. name is Boris Vallejo. No, it's not. Boris Vallejo does <laughs> fantasy paintings. Uh, my fantasy. You're saying that those sexy robots aren't a fantasy? I'm saying he does strapping uh, strapping muscular men wearing tiny underpants mm-hmm. with swords in their hands. With a lady clinging to their... Uh... Exactly. Or sexy ladies fighting dragons, much like the art of his wife, Julie Bell. Yeah. Accentuated pubises. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the name of your band? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wellington, no, the accentuated pubises. This is My, uh... sensual pubises.